Welcome to the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch is joined by Dr. K. Dure Raj, member of the American Academy of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery and the American Board of Otolaryngology. Welcome to Medical Spa Insider. We have, we're actually kind of live from the Medical Spa Show in Vegas, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get your name right the first time. K. Dure Raj. We're going to start over. Dure yes. Raj. Remember, do run, run, run. Do Ray Raj. Dr. K. Dure Raj. That's a, that's a, that's a tough one, though. Does anyone, get, does anyone get that on the first try? Dure Raj, yeah. Dure Raj? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, thank you so much for, for joining. It's amazing. You're amazing. Yes, thank you. It's been, and thank you for coming to the show and speaking. What, tell us really quickly what your, what your talk's about so that when people can watch it on the I have done a few, a few yeah. talks. On um, the very first night, we did a talk with MERS all about yeah. Xeomin and the using the ultra-purified versions of neurotoxins that are out there on the market. So yep. that was great. And I also spoke with Galderma about Restylane yeah. Kiss, one of the most lovely fillers, new fillers for lips. And Saturday, you guys invited me to talk about lips, everything yeah. you've ever wanted to know and more about how to do a lip. Lips that, are my I favorite. I thought that talk was awesome. Like, cause oh, it was doc- with, um, Dr. Rajani and you had a, a whole bunch of great people in there. So it was, it was, it was cool. What did you think of that? Did you have fun? It was excellent. The yeah. whole idea of bringing in art into the science and the anatomy and the techniques is very important because many young injectors come into this field thinking that they know how to give a shot. And the shot's a shot, mm-hmm. it's a shot. And it's definitely about the placement, the depth, and the artistry. Tell me about it. I know exactly what you're talking about. Being a lawyer who has never injected anything in his life. <laughs> <laughs> you're sounded by fillers and injectables. How uh, on earth did you decide to get into that? No, you know what? That's a good question. It's a long and sordid story. And we only have half an hour, but so I'll give you the quick Reader's Digest version. So I'm a lawyer. The sordid part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you're talking. I haven't even had anything to drink. If I, if I had it. A cocktail, I would tell you the whole thing. Yes. But we're not there yet. I'm just still dry. But so here's what happened. I was representing a nurse in Illinois back in 2008, and she owned a med spa, which, number one, is illegal in Illinois, but she was making millions and just killing it. And I realized very quickly that this was an industry that was number one, amazing that anybody could make that much money. And, uh, she was getting investigated by the nursing board because she was violating various things without even knowing it. And to her credit, she would, wasn't trying to do that. So I just, I'm like, I saw an opportunity and I jumped on it and we decided to start offering resources to med spas. One thing led to another. Now here I am 10 years later. I don't even practice law anymore. I just run AMSPA and it's, it's been, it's been incredible. It's a full-time job, I'm Full, sure. It's a yeah. full-time job. That's well, that right. was like an inspiration to be the first and really pioneer that this is a very important necessity. Well, it it is. It was, you know what? It was it was kind of a it was kind of a no-brainer at the time because there was no I mean, the industry's you I mean, you know as much as anybody how fast it's growing and how much people want these services. And there was no even now like if you try to find out what the rules are in your particular state, it's very difficult. And so we, you know, selfishly at first, we were trying to use the AMSPA to market 
my law firm. I thought, oh, we'll just use it to get clients. But it, it started growing, and I realized that people really needed the services, and I and I enjoy it. It's a it's fun, it's a great industry. I mean, what a what an incredible industry to be a part of. I feel like we're we're, we're blessed in light of how how much it's growing and, and how well it's done, even even in light of the circumstances. I mean, what what do you think about the industry right now? I mean, what's your what's your what's your take on it? I'm curious. <laughs> It's difficult to control the explosion of demand because, number one, we become better at marketing and Instagram is virtually free marketing. It's worked so well. Right. So the reach for the patients is incredible. And um, now we are going to enter this decade of having problems with not having enough injectors to satisfy yes. demand. If we are We're literally 6% of the aesthetic market is tapped and every day and every year people are wanting more and more and more beauty and the current clients yeah. you can't even satisfy and then the new clients you can't even get in the door and then the established injectors like myself who are experienced that those are the ones you really want to trust your face to to do advanced procedures that we see on Instagram yeah our chairs are getting filled so I'm a little worried and that's why I started my course modern aesthetic theory yeah to train new injectors the right way from the beginning and to sort of democratize beauty because I can charge higher prices and, you know, do less work. And I, I'm at that stage of my career. But I don't want to shut out the new young 20-year-old who found me on Instagram or TikTok. And I want to put them on the right path. I want their first lip filler experience to be a beautiful one, not a lumpy one. Yeah. And I don't want them to go to some med spa experience that's not ideal. Like, I think that people can join this industry and learn and build and craft themselves to give great yeah. experiences to everybody. It's it, it, what you mentioned something that I've been telling a lot of people, and I, it's is that there's the shortage of providers. There's just not enough qualified providers, right? So there's a lot of people who want to get, come into the industry and be injectors, but there's not nearly enough to satisfy the demand. And I think that what, where we come in as AmSpa is we start seeing people who maybe don't have the training or shouldn't be in the industry, and what do we? Do about that. I mean, your, your training, first of all, is amazing. So we that like that will help. Um, but there's not enough. There's not enough qualified training institutions out there. I don't think yet to satisfy. I think sadly, like your scenario, it's going to take a case of a bad lawsuit with a lot of publicity that shuts down some inexperienced poor provider mm-hmm. um, to make this an issue where legislation will be passed at a statewide level. And to protect the patient. And there really needs to be a drive to protect the patient from industry. And it's not coming from industry for all the wrong reasons. They, they need yeah. to sell syringes and things. And um, a syringe is like a weapon in the face with all the vasculature mm-hmm. and all the dangers that exist there. It's literally like you're selling a loaded gun or mm-hmm. a weapon of destruction to a person. So shouldn't you be required to test them and Make sure they have a driver's license, a certification, a sanity test. Like if I was buying a gun in California, that's what I need. Yeah. A, you know, a few yeah, days a of a sanity period. test would be great for this <laughs> Seriously, <industry. laughs> right? Like some kind of certification or qualifications or yeah. guidelines that you practiced. And so I think that's what's lacking. And yeah. also I think integrity, like if I'm a filler company, why don't I want to set the path right and be the first company to require? If you're going to inject a gel filler in your office, I'm going to require you to buy a package where you have some Hylinex or some other antidote to save the person and save the problem. Yeah. I, you know, I've been, I, I have, I, I'm glad you said that. I have the same feeling. I think there's a, a big responsibility um, from on the industry side. I really do. And I, and I don't think, and, and that includes us, like at Amspot. It does, I think, all of us. I mean, I think 
but I, I think it includes Allergan, Galderma, MERS, all them, like all the laser companies. Like yes. they all need to take responsibility for the fact that this is medical treatment and we can't just sell it to anybody. And it's also, you know what it is? It's also some of the bigger training companies who I will not name, but there are some that will train anybody over a weekend and then yes. send them out and say, you're ready to go inject. And they do. And right? they give them a false sense of security. Like, yeah. a, a, you know, a, a nice young provider who's just out of training is doing the right thing by finding a training course, but right. maybe naive and not understand the depth of what they really dip their toe into and the right. real liability that they will face if they treat it like it is like getting a haircut in a salon. Because yeah. many of the med spas function like salons where they're nine to five, there's no answering service, a patient can have a vascular occlusion, necrosis or a problem. Nobody's available for the phone call and that lady's working you know, two days a week there. Yeah. And in between a medical director doesn't hear about it because they're on paper. There's some old retired internist who's just putting their name on a piece of paper. So, I mean, it bothers me. There should be consumer protection yeah. and there should be decency with providers that they should understand and respect the facial anatomy and have a little fear because for God's sakes, I've been doing this for 20 years and the more I inject, the more humble and fearful I am of the problems that I can create. Yeah. That's interesting because yeah. and how much this is, this is probably an unanswerable question, but I'm curious, like if you could just put a number on it, how much training does like a novice injector need before they're really qualified? I mean, if I bring a new injector to my office yeah. and maybe they've done some things, maybe they went to work in a laser clinic and yeah. did a basic thing, I'm going to take two months to three months before I feel like I don't need to check their Botox markings anymore. Because mm -hmm. Botox sounds easy and it's one of the hardest things we do. It's so easy to drop a brow. It's so easy to give a bruise. It's so easy to, mm -hmm. you know, make a mouth asymmetrical. And so I take the time to really look and train. I mean, the fastest I might do would be like 60 days if I thought they were yeah. super experienced. But it's a refining it, and it's also me understanding their understanding how the muscles contract and move. For fillers, probably the same about, you know, yeah. 90 days or so of them watching, learning my techniques, learning how to speak to the patient, learning how to screen for what problems to red flag and what um, things to look for. And then you have to see the patient in follow-up. So the other thing is you can't just pass your, you know... You can do Botox, great, but did you see them back three weeks later? Because right. sometimes people have a problem and they're scared to tell you or you didn't know, or you didn't check. And then six right. months later, they're like, oh, yeah, I never came back when my brows were spocked up like, you know, Jack Nicholson. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's important to have the follow-up period where you track results over two or three months to be sure your injector yeah. really is on the ball. What do you what do you think about the the whole do it yourself movement? Have you have you been following that? Oh my god, that at that's all? scary. My Isn't own it? my own nurse, <laughs> one of my own medical assistants <clears throat> told me that she walked in on her own mother watching oh me on my YouTube channel injecting a lip and she was using a hyaluron pen trying to mimic my technique and I was like, "Oh my god, is this what patients are doing with yes, my videos?" It is what they're doing. And it is what they're doing and the the craziness of being able to buy filler on Amazon. You can buy yeah. God knows what clear gel product and put it in you. It's crazy. Nobody I, knows what's in the hyaluronic pen. No one wants a COVID vaccine, but they're willing to put a weird hyaluronic gel from China in, well, that's into them. That's a whole them. other <laughs> story, but, but you're absolutely, yeah, it's, it's kind of a bizarre, the whole thing is very bizarre. And then one of the things we've been dealing with at this meeting in particular is um, injectors injecting themselves just to kind of test things like on themselves. Yeah. And what's the, you know, is that necessarily different than, a video of them injecting somebody else because 
do-it-yourselfers okay, take all this stuff and they and they and they, they do copy it themselves. It. Yeah, it's it's bad, and I'm guilty of that. I will post on my Instagram yeah. periodically me doing my own uh, Botox. You know, when I especially during the pandemic, it was such yeah. a long stretch. Whoa. But that's a personal choice, and I always preface that by hoping that patients will do the right thing for themselves. And I've had the experience of having a really well qualified injector not know my muscles as well as I do. So yeah, I think that's you know up to the person, but. Um, I do think that injectors should not inject gel fillers into themselves. And I've been to meetings where girls bring syringes in their suitcases and mm-hmm. it's a whole in the hotel room. They're doing mm-hmm. each other's faces. And mm-hmm. I feel for them because we have no time. And at the end of the day, when you've been on your feet for eight hours doing other people's faces, mm-hmm. the last thing you want to do is put a needle in your own face. Yeah. But, I- um, you don't want to put a needle. But you, I don't want to put I'm a like, and these face. girls, I'm like, did you bring Hylinex in case one of you has a vascular occlusion? Yeah. And one of them was telling me she injected her nose the the day before the meeting, and just because. Yes. It's funny how we get insecure when we come to these meetings, or I'm going to go up on stage, and I'm like, oh, I, I have gone to one meeting where I gave myself a little black eye because I had to have some under eye filler to feel confident. So really, <laughs> so you and, need to resist yeah. the temptation to self treat as <clears throat> it's really. Yeah, the the nose the fillers is fillers especially. Yeah, well, we so um, Chris Surik in his anatomy course that that mm-hmm. where he does cadavers. I I had the honor to go watch it, and the nose is ripe with danger, and I did not yes. know that. Yes. And people, I feel like, are doing like the liquid nose lifts and stuff. And that's me. I'm pretty known for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, my but, Tinkerbell tip lift. And I would 100 percent trust you to do it because you're a trained doctor. And you've been doing it for a long time, but. Not everybody should be doing that. No, and I really feel that med spa nurses and practitioners, whoever, doctors, whoever is doing this procedure, like I say in my lectures, if you can name all the named nerves, arteries, veins, cartilages, and structures of the nose, by all means, then do this procedure. (laughs) And if you can reverse the complications and you're competent to handle them, then do it. But if you don't know how to do... Hylinex for central retinal artery occlusion, or you haven't researched that, then don't do it. Don't do things yeah. where you can't sleep at night. Yeah. It's not worth it to try to please a patient. Yeah. How did you How did you get into aesthetics? Well, I've been, I, my specialty is face, faces. I okay. do head and neck surgery. Okay. And so you okay. 30% of our training is in facial plastic right. reconstructive. Yep. And in the beginning, I was much more oriented into major uh, reconstruction like cancer and yeah you know. that was kind of my question like you can kind of go either route right you can go into the yeah. reconstructive and the academic end the reconstructive yeah. end that we're going my to last a- year my chief year residency at ucla i had twins a boy and a girl so that was a hard year and i barely slept but i focused and subspecialized in a lot of aesthetic stuff so okay. i did more of that and it's just been a passion i love art i'm a sculptor and a painter and um when you've, you know, you can bring joy to a patient and change a little aspect of their outward appearance and it reflects on their inner confidence. That's just a blessing. I've noticed there are a lot of, um, um, cosmetic surgeons who are artists. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that too? Yes. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of art artistry. There's to a it. need to be creative because in, in regular medicine and regular healthcare providing, it's such a repetitive thing that sometimes you can turn your brain off and it feels rote and it feels like after, you know, 10 or 15 years of doing sinus surgery or different things that you get into a routine with, it's not as creative. Every it, This is a much more creative field. So I love that. Each face is an art project. And I take so much time to craft a vision of what brings out someone's best aspect of their beauty. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so one question, this is, I'm going to spring this on you, that, sure. that George uh, Baxter Holder asked, or I think they were, I think they asked each other, 
is, um, I think maybe you were on this panel too, what is the one question that you wish people would ask you, but they don't? Yes. I, I wish they'd ask me what to not do. Like, what are the things I should never do? Or, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And what yeah. are the things that were hardest to learn for you? And a lot of that is, I think, psychology of patient care and the practice mm-hmm. and learning yourself, learning how to say no to the patient. So definitely it's the danger things. Like uh, going back in my career, I did things that I think were risky, not knowing and being a yeah. cowboy, when a cowgirl, when you graduate, <laughs> you're like so confident you know, pistols firing and the top program in the country. And I remember doing like a, I did a mini facelift in our back room with local anesthetic. And I was like, looking back, I'm like, that was a lot yes. for me. And why did I put myself in that position of liability yeah. and, um, doing under eye fillers early, early before there was a lot of research about it and, mm-hmm. you know, different things where you get, you know, some callbacks. So anytime you get a vascular occlusion, you kick yourself in the yeah. You, like, why did I do that? Sometimes that very last little squirt of filler and you just some gut feeling told you not to, and yet you did it anyway. And learning to listen to your gut. So I would say take yeah. less risk in the beginning and make sure you do things where you'll sleep well at night. Make sure you analyze your business analytics. Um, yeah. That is where we really fail. And if I had, if I could do anything over again, I'd probably want to have built a vision of how I'd want to run my practice with a business model and a whole like consultant with a, you know, accountant and a lawyer and build the infrastructure. Instead, it's gone the other way where I have this explosion of services and now I'm trying to create order out of chaos. Yeah. That's, and that's how most people do it. That's how I did it. That's how most people, doctors and lawyers, uh, you know, get a lot of education and they kind of let you loose on the world and you've got this license that allows you to do things, but you don't know anything about business. Yes. I didn't know anything about accounting or bookkeeping or You don't know what budgeting. kind of corporation you should form. You didn't even know you had to form a corporation. Right. And it's just, and you kind of just start doing things. And that's, I, I think what the number one thing I would recommend to people is like, just like take your time at the beginning. Don't rush into it. Make sure you have yes. enough money and have an infrastructure in place. Put Most aside money to build the infrastructure and appreciate the time that you're slow because this is the time where you craft your consent forms and you yeah. think about your patient flow and you make your ideal patient experience and you really build the inventory and the tracking and then realize that in your career you're going to see everything and every type of person, every type of HR issue and all the bad things you never thought that humans could be capable of, they're capable of. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> and more, yeah. patients and staff. And um, you need to insulate yourself from that by having policies, procedures, and protocols. And so often, like, I'm very established and, like, I'm frank, I'm fortunate to have a network of friends where I can call and be like, hey, do you have a contract for a independent contractor, nurse practitioner, or do you have a procedures and protocols? And I can borrow that stuff and craft my own. But so many people don't have that except through AMSPA. Well, shameless plug, but I, I appreciate that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's But it's absolutely true. I mean, most people do the kind of ready, fire, aim approach, right? You just yeah. you start and then in, in, I've talked about this on my podcast before in, in the, in the law, we have a five and 50 or a five and 50,000 rule where it's $5,000 to do it right the first mm. time, but $50,000 to fix it after you mm. screw it up yourself and then hire a lawyer afterwards. Kind of the same thing with, you know, if somebody is an inexperienced injector and they, inj- how much does it cost to, to make them look right again? So yeah, it's, it's um, invest in yourself early right. and go build slowly. Yeah. So key. And also I would say 
So many of these injecting operations are, are mom and pop things. Like yeah. I'm doing all this work. My husband's my accountant right now. He's my CFO. And Frank, fortunately he runs a big company yeah. and he is, you know, in that field. But I think my practice gets like 10% of his attention and 90% goes to his, yeah. even though he's my paid employee. <laughs> well, we, so should write, we should write him up and put it in his file. I should write him up. Yes. <laughs> but my taxes get done like at the last minute yeah. and like everything. And I, I think it matters. And I think so many injectors, this field is dominated by women, 90%. Yeah. And we have to run houses and fi- fix food for babies and yeah. do homework and we don't have time to run the infrastructure of yeah. the office. So we pass it off to our husbands who are traditionally like the guy at home who does the taxes yeah. and does the bills. And then you lose ownership of that part of the business. And I don't, I don't ever want to be that ditzy girl. And I don't want to train my three daughters either to make your husband do everything. And you just sign the line when he tells you to do the tax form, but that's become me. And that was my mom. And I want to break that trend for our new injectors. And they need to know from the beginning what the numbers mean and even if your husband does your work for you, you should probably go get an accountant to make him more accountable. Yeah. And, and um, I just think that, like, we need to know every nitty-gritty detail about the business. Yeah. I remember when I, like, I was a young lawyer at a, working at a, not too young, but I was working at a firm, busting my ass, and I knew I, I quit and I was going to start my own firm. And my uncle told me, you know, what you should do is you should go just take an intro bookkeeping or accounting course. And I was like, yeah, 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 I didn't do it, of course. Just like went mm-hmm. off of my own. And I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about that because I wish I had done that. Because had I just taken a little bit of time to, just like you said, you know, to build the foundation, I would have saved myself so much time and stress. Because I, I don't, once you figure out the numbers and the data aspect of it, it makes everything a lot easier. And I'm an English major. Mm. So I don't, math does not compute well with me at mm-hmm. all. Like it, it makes me, makes my head spin. So it takes me a while to process that. But once you figure it out and you kind of understand it, and that takes years of experience, it helps tremendously. And so I wish, I wish I had done that. Yeah. What's I the mean, one thing you wish you had done that you didn't do? Probably, I think business school, because I feel like I've yeah. mastered marketing pretty well. And You've I didn't go to marketing school. No, well, I mean, you're a natural at it. I oh, mean, what's your, what's your Instagram? What's your followers now? It's like around 300,000 and a couple hundred thousand on TikTok. It's pretty interesting. It's grown all organically. That's amazing. How long did it take you to, to build that Instagram following? About three years. Yeah. And less. TikTok, what about that? That's relatively That's been new. over just pandemic. Yeah. That's been crazy. It's been so fun. I got to meet awesome. all the big TikTokers. So that's awesome. Yeah. So I've learned marketing and I guess that's just understanding of psychology and also a little creativity and also just being genuine. Yeah. And people can feel it and having a mission and a passion statement. Like it's not for me, I'm fortunate that it's not just about making money and doing fillers and more fillers, more money. I don't want that. Um, I'm not materialistic that way. And I don't want to raise my kids or my family or my injector tribe like that. We're not about yeah. that. We're about like, do the right thing for the patient, craft a beauty plan, do treatments. Don't think, don't talk about syringes. You attract your tribe. What I put out there attract the people that come to me are coming because of the content I create. So if you yeah. don't like your current client base, think about it. So I'm doing a, um, I'm moderating a social media panel tomorrow, which I, frankly I should not be moderating because I don't know much about social media. But <laughs> I'm I, on your panel. I, so I know, and you are, and that's why I'm talk, <laughs> asking you this question. What like, what's a what's a good question to ask about 
TikTok because I, I feel like TikTok is a is such a new thing. But I'm not. I, is it something that allows you to convert patients or, or followers into patients? Because that's kind of the, the thing, shockingly, right? Shockingly, yes, shockingly. Because I just got on TikTok because it's fun yeah. and I thought it would sell some skincare, which it has. Um, but what surprises me the most is young people find me, 20-year-olds, and they're showing my videos to their mom and their grandmom, and they're coming in because my daughter sent me because she found you on TikTok, saw you on TikTok. Yeah. And from there, they went to my Instagram page. And so actually some, you know, there's a nice turnaround from that. And the, the best part about TikTok is that the, you're not limited by an algorithm. The, the, the algorithm doesn't really stop your views as much as Instagram does. Right. So you can really grow quickly. And it's more fun. Instagram is a little bit more like yeah. homework. You have to be very poised on there. And this is just goofy. Just very, very kind of spont- yeah. spontaneous. And the music and- makes it fun. I think it was such a relief of stress during the pandemic to have it. If you ever jumped on TikTok, then you know you spent like three hours. No, stay up I, till and two I in the morning but on my it. wife does. Like, we'll sit, I'll sit next to her on the couch and she won't talk to me for 90 minutes. Yes. She's on TikTok. Exactly. Like, it's like, mesmerizing. You, like, it's like do- chronic dopamine release in your brain and you just can't get off of it. And I it's know. just visual candy. It's like junk food. I actually have, have not opened a TikTok account. Because I'm making I, a TikTok with you today. Oh my no no! Because I'm, I'm I'm an I'm a I'm an addict. I'm a <laughs> you have an addictive personality, <laughs> so that's why I don't want to. I don't. I like it. It's because like I've go down the hole with like watching Michael Jordan videos on YouTube. And oh, I'll do there's that for, a rabbit like, hole phenomenon I mean, with TikTok. My yeah. goodness! And, but and, it's fun. I've learned so much <clears throat> actually. So they've done some studies and statistics that show that 60 percent of users are now above age 40. Of TikTok users. Yes. And that's growing, and you can you can learn so much. Any field you can learn about real estate, Bitcoin. No, you're right. Yeah, I so mean you're absolutely right. It's it's and it's not going away, right? I mean it's just mm-mm. getting bigger and bigger. And some of these TikTok stars are making so much money; it's ridiculous. So who's your favorite one that you've met? I had met Charlie D'Amelio, who's the youngest, you know, the 17 year old who's got so many followers and she was great. So nice and down to earth. We love all of them. We met Nessa, yeah. who is super cute. Becky G, who's awesome. I and don't know who any of these people are. They're all young people that are beautiful <laughs> and glamorous. <laughs> That's awesome. Though. Yeah, I've enjoyed meeting all of them. Did you, did you, were you trying to, to grow on TikTok and become big or was it just, did it just kind of happen? It just kind of happened. It was this interesting phenomenon of during the pandemic when these relatively famous young people who were fresh in their careers were watching, they were on TikTok and then my videos came up and some of them messaged me. And then when one of the people gets in here, they all want to come. It's a sort of LA FOMO of like, yeah. if somebody's going in there and she's going in there and she's going there and then we all want to go in there. <laughs> so it's been fun, but I'm very, um, kind to the kids cause they're kids Yeah, and I'm very careful cause they're minors, some of them, and they have to have their parents <clears> come <throat> yep. and I've been absolutely Isn't that crazy. It is, but it's LA and it's like people have been getting their noses fixed when they were 13 since I was. And I remember that from the eighties, like, yep. this is nothing new. People get rhinoplasty for their bat mitzvah when they yeah. turn 13, right? <laughs> in every country in Iran and in America, it's a thing. So not yeah, what, nothing surprises me. That is not where I go. And up. I'm, I'm respectful <laughs> of these kids that have taken the time to research and find a board certified facial plastic. Yeah. You know, I'm a head and neck surgeon. I'm not like anybody on the street. And yeah. they took the time to bring their mom, come here, find a really good provider. They can go anywhere. They could go to some back alley and wherever, yeah. get a piercing, get a tattoo, and get a lip filler all at once. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, yeah. to, to come in is nice. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's exciting. So, all right, we're going to have a good time on the panel tomorrow. I'm going to lean on you. Okay. Because I wasn't, you know what, last year or when we did the medical spot show last year, we didn't talk about TikTok at all. It was before the pandemic. That's right. It was it relatively really wasn't, new. I mean, it was relatively new and it was kind of, it wasn't a thing in aesthetics. And now mm-hmm. I think we have to start with it. It's kind of the big thing in the room, right? I mean, what, mm-hmm. I mean, and then go from there. I mean, is inst- there anybody not having an Instagram account or a Facebook account that comes to this meeting or has every injector and every med spa basically understood the necessity? Um, so you'd be surprised at, at how many, so you we, should pull them. Imagine no, we, the, we do. Yeah, we, we, we do. And, and we do that more at our, at our boot camps. So we do it at the business boot camps for med spas mm. over a weekend. And, and we'll, We'll actually have, um, we'll, we'll ask them, we'll have little breakouts. And there are always a, always a fairly significant amount who don't even have an account. <laughs> um, and they're, they're smart enough to realize that they need it, but they haven't done it yet. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's probably getting rarer and rarer. And we know the ones, I mean, I mean it, to be successful. Yeah. I, it, it's it's that necessity. first hurdle of like even just making an account. Yeah. It's funny that your brain puts this hurdle in front of you, but literally you just type your email and a password. It's not that hard. Yeah, I know. But it's that psychological hurdle of like, what am I getting into? I can't handle it. I'm not ready for that. And you're on, people are uncomfortable on camera. Like I, like yes. maybe I would make videos like, oh, Allie left, but Allie would come in and, and my, our marketing uh, manager would come in and, and, and shoot videos of me. And I just feel like a an insane lunatic like just yeah like, in the beginning you feel like a buffoon like how do i look am i goofy yeah. am i silly you know but in the yeah, you have to let go of all that yeah live and learn you realize that there's a seven billion people on the planet and i'm gonna find my tribe of like a drop in the planet of three hundred thousand people or a hundred you don't need three hundred thousand people to be successful in this industry you need a thousand followers if you can service a thousand clients a couple times a year you're going to be busier than you have the time for you're not going to have enough time for that right so literally like people need to stop putting the pressure on themselves to have a bazillion followers you don't need that you need to engage with the the people who took time to follow you and listen to what you say they're so important yeah if i have 50 followers if i have 50 people in this room listening to me that's huge i'm gonna be happy about that no it is it is um i think that's really valuable insight that a lot of people don't listen to or follow because they get so caught up in the race of trying to get as many followers as they can. There's um, someone I did, I did a podcast with and this, I'm going to butcher the quote, but the quote was like, if something like if the, if, if my followers aren't generating um, leads and revenue, then it's all just vanity at that point. It's basically, if you're going to use this as a business tool, and she was talking about Instagram. Mm-hmm. You, it's true. Like you don't, and, and she doesn't have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers. She'll have, you know, 12,000, but they're highly engaged. They're highly focused. They, they, you know, she's a micro influencer around this little group and she's busier than she's, than she could be. I mean, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom in that. It's so true. Yeah, I fully agree with that. And I think, like you said, people realize, people can become millionaires off of TikTok. They can have no experience, education, background. They are hawking skincare and they don't know anything about yeah. skin. But, um, but that's the power of the digital media. Like the world is your oyster. 
you can now, I can turn on Instagram Live and I'll, right now here with you, we just did a few minutes ago with Aesthetic Record and we were talking to people in the UK who are interested to buy our yeah. the Aesthetic Record. <laughs> like that's the scope of, that's if awesome. I do a sculpture butt injection, we'll have people from Brazil and India and Europe yeah, and Italy. True. And so the power of digital is what you need. People yeah. need to understand you can harness that. I wonder what's, uh, this is a non sequitur, but I wonder what's going to happen to some of those young TikTok stars, not the ones who are, you know, who are maybe in their twenties and they're bringing in a couple million a year. Mm-hmm. Like, are they going to be broken five years or are they going to be like, what's going to happen to them? I'm curious. It's a little bit of a high pressure life. And I don't yeah. think that they're building the personal infrastructure to sustain because they've dropped out of school. Many of them yeah. have become independent miners. They've been taken advantage of by one or two or three managers already they don't read their contracts and like 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 injectors they're building it backwards <laughs> you know I'm, they need to have saying. a parent or someone who like gives them a good guidance and, and money and fame at a young age like that without guidance yeah. can be a bad recipe and splashy it's sexy it's like yeah. bad boyfriends it's the whole recipe for <laughs> the rough life sounds rough awesome let's life. do I it know. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it um, so i hope they will I give them advice when they're in my chair. I'm so motherly, which is probably annoying to them. But no, it's good. I tell them they need to study and that they need to <clears throat> morph their following because many of them have boy followers who are interested in bathing suits and things like that. Yeah. But I'm like, you know what? Women are your purchasers. You need to talk to your woman audience. Yeah. You need to Men grow that. Shop. Men don't shop. They just, yeah, yeah they're there to gawk. So um, I try to teach them a little bit of my marketing pearls, too. And it's fun. And some of them don't even know some of the things. And some of them have 2 million followers, and they haven't even got any merchandise. Like, you don't have any merch? What's going on? No merch. (laughs) Um, um, So, no, I I think... This this whole conference, and you've been here for the the whole show, there's been... One of the things that I like about it is that um, because AmSpa is a compliance and business-based organization... People expect to talk about safety, compliance, legislation, things like that. It's it's not you know it's kind of what, what what's on tap, and so we've talked about it a lot. This conference, there's been a lot of discussion about it. Um, so and and but your course, like, I, I would love to hear more about it because there's so many out there, um, and I think a lot of people don't know like where to go, like a young injector or a young. Uh, RN who wants to be in aesthetics, they don't know where to go. And, and I, and I, in some ways I empathize with them because how can someone coming out when there's no, there's no board certification, right? In aesthetics, there's Mm -hmm. no, especially for, there's no specialty for RNs or PAs in aesthetics. How do they know where to go? And what is your, what does your course do that is different that people Mm -hmm. should know about? Well, that's a great point. They don't know where to go. And all these traditional derm meetings and aesthetic meetings that are set up are, really kind of taught by the old school brigade of the same old lecturers, the same old, it's difficult to learn from a lecture. You go, you sit in the audience, you hear these things, but how do you go apply it to what you do in real life? So, um, I think people find me on Instagram and they watch my techniques and then they hear me talk and I'm doing, I built this course, modern aesthetic theory pre pandemic. So I feel like I was kind of one of the pioneers to establish this virtual training idea because you really need to be able to whip out your phone and, you're doing an under eye filler that day. Let's review what you need to know about under eye filler. More than that, it's 25 modules that you can learn anywhere from beginner to intermediate to advanced. All the things starting with baby Botox to lips, nasolabials, and in the order you should learn them. 
Um, I want you to learn all of that before you can move on to cheeks and jawlines. And maybe when you're done with that, we might do tear troughs. And then later we'll do temple filler. And after Mm -hmm. that, sculptra for the face, sculptra for the body, kybella, now threads. Mm -hmm. So it's very comprehensive and there's written instructions, anatomy diagrams. A video, because Mm -hmm. in reality, when you come to these meetings, you you can read all this information in textbooks. But what I've done is taken 10 different meetings that you would go to in a year and 15 different textbooks and, you know, conglomerated that into an easy 20, 30 minute module. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's all it's all online. It's all online and I'm developing and evolving it. And of course, it's, you know, it's not perfect. I'm busy. Yeah. I'm a busy lady. I'm doing this in the middle of seeing 30 patients a day with four or five marketing projects going on. But, but it's the intent of it is to be that comprehensive. And it's, this is version one, we're going to keep evolving yeah. and improving. And every time we do more modules, they get better. And I'm bringing in other injectors too to teach. So it's not just my technique, but you have the benefit of like, one of the things when you go to these meetings is you want to ask the person, but like, how do you really do it in your office? Not right. just where's the blood vessels and and what are the danger zones? Because like, okay, it's been a year of pandemic. We're all sick of anatomy lectures. I'm sick of them. Mm-hmm. I love anatomy. It's the basis of all we do. But you also need to know the finesse and the, how do you look at the patient? How do you talk to the patient? Yeah. Where do you numb them? How you know exactly what the depth and level of placement? Where are the pain points? Where are you going to screw up? Because I've already done this for 15 years and 1,000 injections, so I can give you the benefit of where I've screwed up and where I have seen people back. So you get mm-hmm. the blessing of the wisdom of all this you know, long-term mm-hmm. experience. So that's the goal. What, what was, um, have you always wanted to, to teach? I mean, was what was Yes, the... I did. I was in an MD PhD program and then had twins in my chief year and I decided <laughs> I also needed time to be a mom. So I let go of some of that research aspect for like the first 10 years. And now, yeah, now I'm teacher. doing more. T- hearing you talk. I, I mean, you, you, yeah. you're relatable, which I think is important. Well, thank you. So, um, it's, that's that's cool. So, w- where can people find the the, the course? It's modernaesthetictheory.com. dot com. Modernaesthetictheory.com. Yeah. And there's t- how many modules? Twenty five modules. Damn. And yeah, that we sold a, a lot of memberships. Um, so it's a membership kind of a basis. And yeah. Once you buy in, you can have all the modules. You can have them forever. Watch them as much as you want. We'll and have to do it's an, an cool. Spa membership special. I would for love our to. Members because yes. you know it's um, you know people need tra- they can't get enough training. I think. They can't. And I think that when you leave a meeting like this, you have all these thoughts and ideas, but you need some visual. It's very visual. Like yeah. this generation of every generation, we are the most visual. We don't have textbooks anymore. We learn off yeah. of YouTube. Yep. And that's not as safe or as good as learning with modern aesthetic. Right. But um, I'm a visual learner, so I appreciate the ability to watch something in your picture is a thousand words and the yeah. w- watching someone's hand strokes and how they're doing something tells you a lot. Yeah. But it's also post-care. It's also a tribe. So we have Facebook and an Instagram group where you can yeah. ask all your questions and you will get answers from people all across the country. How do you, and people ask the best questions. How are you guys doing reservation fees? What do you do if a right. patient cancels? What are you doing when someone's threatening to write a bad Yelp review and they didn't like their filler? The things you really need to know to run your practice, because these awful things happen on the daily basis. Yeah. When you're a first-time injector, your heart is pierced when you yeah. get a bad Yelp review. Yeah. And yeah. it's taken me so many, I still get that pierce yeah. after so no, long. It's, and it's like, you get blackmailed on Yelp. You got to do filler refunds. Like So all those practical things of, all of these people coming together who are setting up their spas and it makes you feel like you're not alone and we're all in the same boat together. So I've really enjoyed that tribe aspect. Of yeah, it. that's awesome. Um, it's, 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 it's so true. The, the, the one negative review just will 
it doesn't matter if you got a thousand good reviews. The one yeah. that you get is just like, oh. It eats at your little soul a little bit. <laughs> you, can't, you can't let people, can, patience yeah. can consume you and you have to carve out a space for yourself to be healthy and be balanced and not let this job consume you because yeah. there's this quest for perfection that's so unrealistic and taxing and um yeah yeah i'm so i'm so glad you were able to come to our, to our meeting it was, it was it was it was great to have you i have to say i i feel um like safety and compliance for us is is all that we do and i and i sometimes get a little discouraged because i feel like there's a lot of shady shoddy trainers out there and there's a lot of people doing things they shouldn't be doing yeah and but then i also sometimes you know we come to this meeting and, and i mean meet people like you dr chris surik and dr rajani and the it's like and i feel like okay there's 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 there's, there's hope. hope yeah <laughs> there's there people is. out there who but care. we need to come together alex you and i, I and we need to propose some legislation like do we, we need to find some politicians to lobby on our side for the patient and i don't want it to come to like a woman losing her eye and going blind or a facial necrosis, but it is <clears throat> going to come to that, sadly. But if that's what it takes to spearhead a drive for safety for the rest of the United States and the rest of the country, we, well, we're in the, the beginning, we're in the infancy of 6% of the market tapped and we need to protect the rest well, of the people. Well, what we were at the, at the opening, what we, the kind of the whole basis of, of my talk was if we don't, if we don't set the rules for ourselves and define what they're going to be, someone else is going to do it for us. Exactly. And we might not yes. like where that lands because your example of somebody getting a, a necrosis or losing an eye or whatever is exactly what's going to happen. But the problem with that is when they legislate, they're going to legislate over the extreme. And, yes. and then it's going to eliminate a lot of folks who maybe shouldn't be eliminated. So mm-hmm. you've got to figure out where the line should be drawn now and then stick to them and train around them and be safe around them because otherwise it's going to be the bell's going to, the pendulum's going to swing the other way. We should bring together like a group of the really great teachers that have come to this meeting and we would all come voluntarily. You don't even have to pay us, but if we come up with a global consensus statement of what we think are proper safety training guidelines, Mm -hmm. just like I said, when would I trust someone in my office if I had to train them with my own hands and it was my own personal Mm -hmm. liability, what would I do? Yeah. And that's, you know, getting those opinions from a few different doctors across the country, even if we did like an electronic survey and came up and published a report like that would be so valuable then to take. And some of us know some politicians, we can pass some legislation. Well, and honestly, I think the the first step is just getting the different groups in aesthetics together. I mean, there's, there's. And representatives from each group. So the PAs, the nurse practitioners, the The RNs, the derms, the surgeons. And there's yeah. just, there's, there's so many cosmetic different. surgeons and like, they yeah. don't need to be territory wars. That's one thing that's ugly about the industry and it does not need to be that way. And I don't want it to be like Europe. So when yeah. you go internationally, the education is so restricted to just the elite plastic surgeons and they're so territorial and that's dangerous. And you know, mm-hmm. that's why we can't let that happen here. We have to democratize beauty and make it safe for everyone. Democratize beauty. I love it. I'm going to name my podcast that. 
You should. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we should name our legislation. Totally, totally. Um, <laughs> With that said, now the industry's going to boycott. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's awesome. They're no, doing the right thing. I think Galderma with their gain training has been impressive with the amount of education and drive and dollars that they put behind anatomy yeah. training and yeah. the virtual GIA has been awesome yeah. and MERS has done such a great injector training program. Yeah. So, and awesome. Allergan as well. I, I think, I just think there's a drive for it. So yeah, it's, it's there. Too. We need to bring it to the conversation, bring the conversation yeah. to the top. I think so too. I think so too. Awesome. Well, we are out of time because I've got to run. We've got tons of stuff going on upstairs in the, ex- in the exhibit hall. And then, um, what tomorrow you're going to, so this is going to be recorded after the fact, but all of this stuff's going to be available on our virtual after party, by the way. So you can, oh, good. you can, you can, um, you can see your talks, um, tomorrow and you can see all the other talks that we're doing. So that'll be exciting. Yeah. And, um, and then we'll have to, we'll have to have you on again sometime. And, and I, I've enjoyed talking to you. It's been fun. Totally fun. Yes. This was a great interview. You're great. I, so I think you. that your vision for this industry is excellent. I appreciate you saying that. Thanks for joining us this week with the American Med Spa podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch was joined by Dr. K. Dure Raj, member of the American Academy of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery and the American Board of Otolaryngology. If you are new with us, we would love to invite you to hit the subscribe button. Click it now so you can get AmSpa content delivered to you each time. Leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode.